Hey guys, we're back live and today we have Warren Redlick on the channel. I've featured Warren already in some of my reaction videos. Um, hi Warren, how are you doing? Thank you for coming up. I'm doing well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I really love your... I really love your... Uh, your uh, valuation models. I, I have some bad audio here. Uh, I still have a tab open. All right, so yeah, I, I really love your valuation models. I would really love to go into depth today about your newest model that goes up until $88 trillion market cap. And of course, the nightmare scenario, $100 per share. I love that you also brought that up. But first of all, of course, we need to talk about Investor Day. Um, so what were your key takeaways? And uh, yeah, let, let's talk a little bit about I think. The biggest take, the biggest negative takeaway is that they reduced the projection for energy storage from 1.5 terawatt hours in 2030 to one terawatt hour in 2030. Um, so that, for those who follow me, I have a, a model called the battery revenue model. That's not the model we were just talking about. But in the battery revenue model, it's dependent on how many terawatt hours of batteries Tesla uses in a year and then what they're making in dollars per kilowatt hour on those batteries. And Reducing from 1.5 terawatt hours to one terawatt hour is a one-sixth reduction from three terawatt hours to 2.5 terawatt hours. So that reduces the valuation in the battery revenue model by a little less than 20%, which, of course, it's still an outrageous number, but it's just it's not as outrageous as the 88 trillion you mentioned. But it's, you know, it's still a big number. But it's, you know, all of a sudden, maybe instead of $8,000 a share, you're $6,000 a share, $6,500 a share, something like that. And I haven't, I haven't actually recalculated the battery revenue model with that in mind. But that's that's something that, that was a big takeaway. I think the, the biggest takeaway sort of in a positive sense, which it's not the first time, but Tesla shows off its team. I mean, look at that amazing management team that they showed off. So you see all these people who are there. Number one, you've got some great people. Number two, they're obviously committed to the mission. And that's big because, you know, it's not like you have a whole bunch of people who are on a different agenda. They're, they're all committed to the same mission. They're all working together. Um, I think there were a lot of little details like eliminating uh, rare earths from the drive unit, eliminating, reducing silicon carbide by 75%. These are things that are going to lower costs, you know, demonstrating how this is how we're going to get to 50% of the cost of the Model 3 and Y platform. Um, and... It's kind of comical. I think that the funniest takeaway is what happened after is right after the event, there are certain voices. Uh, you can probably guess who I'm talking about, Barry Glack and Ross Gerber. I, I call Gary Black Barry Glack for those who don't know, um, who immediately said, oh, no, Tesla bombed this. This is the share price is falling because of you know, the after hours share price dropped or whatever. And an immediate reaction is if something bad had happened. Well, you know, the, those of us who understand the company is the critical distinction is people who think they understand stock markets but they don't understand the technology the lithium iron phosphate iron you know uh, nickel-based chemistries you know we, those of us who dive really deep into what the company's doing this was amazing there were a lot of great nuggets in there of, of really positive sign of, of how they're making progress towards a, a brilliant future and you know if your obsession is well wait a minute when are you coming out with the next model and why aren't you telling us about the next model of vehicles like because and, and there was an exchange between Steve and Mark Ryan and Gary Black where Steven said, look, they just showed you how they're going to reduce the cost of the vehicle by 50 percent. 
and they explain to you that the demand for autos is the elasticity of demand for autos is high. So that's going to allow them to sell 20 million cars. Did you need a separate slide that said that? Like, what, what do you need? Um, and they just don't, there, there's people who are obsessed. Like, like I have my iPhone right here, right? How many models of iPhone are there? I don't know, four. Somehow they managed to sell, you know, hundred million iPhones or some ridiculous number when they only have four models. Um, the, the Tesla cars are so much better than anything else that they don't have to look different. They don't, you know, the idea that people need their car to like need this version or I need that version or whatever. The only reason there's so much variation in models of cars is because they all suck the same. So I, I mean, I could probably list a few other things, but those are the big ones that come to mind. Yeah. I think for, for me, it was really to just take a step back and see that, um, Tesla is now the company with probably the biggest total addressable market ever. Orders of magnitude larger than anything yeah. we have ever experienced. And of course, I mean, if we go back to 1997 with Apple, nobody could have imagined Apple growing to 3 trillion market cap, right? And right. Tesla could have the potential to go orders of magnitude larger. So I think that's for me the biggest takeaway. We now have a clear path to 20 million. We have a clear path. If uh, the, the optimist succeeds to sell unlimited amount, we have a clear path to sell unlimited amount of energy storage. Um, and the strategy is perfect. So they overproduce cells and then uh, they, they use um, the excess to, uh, in, in, in their storage products. So I think they now have everything in place. They have Tom Zhu, who is now able to crank out gigafactories. Uh, probably they will start building a lot in, in parallel. So can I, for me, can I address that? Because that's, that, that's my other big takeaway is Tom Zhu said it. And I think it might have been Drew that also said it. Tom Zhu said we're going to build multiple, multiple factories at the same time. There was some reference to copy and paste that Elon kind of winced at, whatever. But, you know, it's not that they're building Giga Mexico and that's the only next generation vehicle factory. As I heard it, they're going to build Giga Mexico and they're going to build a new factory in Texas and they're going to build a new factory in um, China, and they were going to build a new factory probably in Germany um, and possibly others. Now, I don't know if they're going to build them all at the same time, but it seems likely they're going to build at least two at the same time and maybe more than that. And, you know, that that was not, that wasn't explicitly said much, but Tom Zhu said we can build multiple factories at the same, we're going to build multiple factories at the same time. I mean, I I don't know how people that I mean, when the analysts were asking questions, that should have been the big question. Like, well, how many factories are you going to build at the same time? Where are you going to build them? And, you know, they would have said we can't reveal that at this time. But I mean, they, they, they already they already built like basically two and a half or three factories at once. Right. Berlin, Austin and, and expanded uh, Shanghai. So I think, um, of course, they need to build more. But I think in Texas, they have so much space to build to expand in Berlin, they can go phase two, phase three. In Shanghai, probably they can they can also um, expand. So I think it will be a combination of expansion and also building uh, new plants. And of course, they will be building the, the new uh, Giga Nevada um, expansion. So I, I think, uh, yeah, I think they will build it as needed. I don't think that's that's the uh, that's the bottleneck. But what I've been impressed with was basically the vertical integration up until the construction level, right? They have their own construction in-house team. They have their own everything in-house. So I think uh, 
that really shows how fast they can go. And Tom Drew said in, in uh, some interviews that um, he aspires to build Mexico even faster than, than Shanghai. So I think, um, yeah, and they have the competition going on between the gigafactories. So they try different things or with the, with the cell factories, they said they have different lines with different technologies and they are competing against each other. And they, they just use Darwinian methods to basically um, uh, find the best uh, solutions. And, and they do the same on the supply chain level. So they are starting to build their own like lithium refining factories to find new methods and then teach their suppliers how to do it. So um, I think they have now all the pieces in place. And of course, the big question is, when will FSD happen? Will it ever happen? Will RoboTaxi happen? Uh, when will Optimus happen? Will it happen? How large it will get? I think these will be the, the, the main uh, factors for your valuation model probably, right, um, in, in, the, in the future. Yeah, and I wanted to mention something else, which I'm trying to find the slide that we can maybe we can share it. There was sure. something there was something in Investor Day. I'm going to be making a video about this, but they had this display of the vehicles, like the distribution of vehicles in this future world, which they didn't say what year it was for. But you know, they had like you know 700 million of this vehicle, 300 million yeah. of that vehicle, so on and so forth. And let me see if I can find the. I'm looking to see if I can find that particular slide, and and I think that slide was a little bit off. I may I may not, I may not be able to find it. Um, sorry, just give me. I'm sorry for stalling here for a second. But the, you know the the potential for. Um, no, I don't see it. I'm sorry. I. I don't know what it, I, I'll I'll I don't want to waste more time on that. So the the the. There was this slide and it had like 40 million S and X class vehicles and 380 million three and Y class vehicles and then 20 million semis. And then I think it was like 300 million between Cybertruck and what looked like a van. And then there was like 700 million of the RoboTaxi, the next generation platform vehicle and then that class of vehicle. And, and I think that's wrong. Um, but it's kind of interesting if you figure that robo taxis are going to replace five vehicles, then 700 million robo taxis would replace 3.5 million vehicles, 3.5 billion vehicles, and there's only two billion vehicles on Earth. So those numbers just didn't add up. So there's something in that that was funky. And you know, I have my own personal view that the the future is going to involve single passenger vehicles because mm. they'll be more they'll be more efficient, they'll weigh a lot less, they'll have less frontal surface area. Um, I think that's that's a critical feature. I actually think that Elon is is Elon and the Tesla team are going away from first principles thinking on that one. But, but anyway, um, did you want to, I, I, I'm not sure if. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's, let's bring your evaluation up and uh, just, okay. just go, go through, uh, maybe walk us, walk us through, uh, through your different uh, nightmare sure. base and, and optimist scenarios. And then we can talk sure. about the assumptions. So on the left side, we have the nightmare scenario, the nightmare scenario, which I've you know, lit up here. The nightmare scenario is there's no robo taxis, right? They never nail FSD well enough to launch RoboTaxi. So there's zero vehicles in the fleet. There's zero revenue. There's no, there's no profit. That, so that's a zero. And also down below, um, bot is zero, right? There's no bots. And so you're left with vehicles. You're left with energy storage. And you're left with, um, and then you have a total down here. So if you're if you're on vehicles alone, I, I think you can see what the box I just lit up there. Um, 
then you've got 5 million vehicles. So this is like the nightmare scenario. They only sell 5 million vehicles in 2030, right? And they only make $6,000 in gross profit for vehicle in, in 2030. And they end up with a gross vehicle profit of, um, of $30 billion in gross vehicle profit. Terrible, right? <laughs> and, and then energy storage, you've got 300 gigawatt hours of energy storage sold at a profit of 100 um million dollars per gigawatt hour you end up with another 30 billion dollars in gross profit there you come down and you get a total gross profit of 60 billion dollars net profit is a ballpark of 40 billion dollars and then it hasn't grown that much the growth isn't there and you end up with a pe ratio of 10 and the market cap is only 400 billion dollars which is less than the current market cap and then you would have a share price of 100 dollars a share and that's sorry that's assuming there's 4 million 4 billion shares out there there's about 3.2 billion shares out there right now i think is the rough number so, and you can see that leads to a share price of $100. So the, the thing is, this is like everything, the everything goes wrong scenario, right? They, they don't get close to 20 million vehicles. They don't expand energy storage anywhere near as fast as we thought. Bot doesn't work. RoboTaxi doesn't work. And you're stuck with, with you've lost, like you've lost about roughly 50% from today's share price. That's the nightmare scenario that I think is highly unlikely to happen, right? So do you have any questions about that one or should we move on? Yeah, I think what, what you... What I would maybe add is, is I mean, of course, it's it's realistic that robotaxi won't happen, or, or it's possible that robotaxi won't happen. It's also possible that the bot just will will flop and and it it won't generate any revenue. But I still think they could make some revenue um, with uh, with uh, selling some kind of software or or selling their enhanced autopilot, which already works. I mean, they don't need to improve it, and they still could sell it um, for, for a little bit more. So maybe the margins will be a little bit better. But I think, yeah, this is the nightmare scenario. I mean, they... This is like everything goes wrong. People decide they don't want FSD or autopilot. And, and you know, they, you know the, the nightmare scenario is 5 million vehicles. That's still a lot of growth compared to 1.3 million vehicles in 2022. And but maybe Elon, maybe Elon dies or goes away. Maybe they have some geopolitical risk in China. Maybe they're factory sure. gets exp expropriated or something and of course this is this is the absolute nightmare scenario right yeah. well no so i i don't worry so much about expropriation that can happen anywhere but you can imagine like a major earthquake destroys giga shanghai and you exactly. would think you would think that's or, a death or, or, or fremont actually i mean it could sure. could, could happen you, yeah. you would think that would be a death blow but it doesn't cost them that much to build a new factory and it doesn't take that long so when you're looking like today at 2030 you're like, okay, losing their most productive factory today would really stink, but they have a big cash pile. They're generating cash from their other factories. They'll just build another factory. That's not a deal breaker. So losing, losing a major factory is actually not a deal breaker for Tesla. The deal breaker for Tesla is, you know, if they're not able to achieve their goals technologically and in innovation or somebody else comes along and makes a better vehicle. I don't see any of these things as likely, but this is, you know, if everything goes wrong. Absolutely. So, so then, Absolutely. We have, then we have, mm -hmm. and, and by the way, I drive FSD beta. I have it on two, I have two Teslas. They, they both have FSD beta. I drive it on my, on my Plaid Model X, not every day, because I don't drive every day, but whenever I drive my, my, my vehicle, which is, you know, four or five, six times a week, I use FSD and it's fantastic. It's not there yet. It's got some work to do, but I can see the progress. Um, I don't, I don't have a whole lot of doubt that they're going to get there and, you know, within a few years. So not getting to robo-taxis by 2030 would be a shocking result. When you see all the gains that we've seen in artificial intelligence, and that was another 
uh, big takeaway from the event was Elon said they're expecting their compute for AI training to increase by an order of magnitude by the end of this year. And then another order of magnitude by the end of next year, which I think is mostly a reference to Dojo. That Dojo comes online and they build, you know, multiple superclusters. And then by the end of next year, they built a lot of Dojo superclusters or whatever they're calling them, exaclusters, exa whatever. Um, that that's going to be insane in terms of uh, value. And, you know, I didn't include AI training as a service as, as a part of the business either in any of my models. I think AI training as a service could end up being a huge, a huge detail, but that's not in any of this. So, um, so based on your experience with, with FSD beta, um, if the progress would stall completely, if the product would freeze in time, and how much would you pay for the current version if that was all you would get? Would you pay anything for it? And if, if so, how much? I would pay something for it. I'd probably pay five or ten thousand dollars for it if I didn't think it was going to become full. I mean, people are paying six thousand dollars for enhanced autopilot now, True. right? Which which isn't FSD beta. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I just think that it's not like it's going to going to freeze up. That's not a that's not a scenario that makes any sense if you understand you know machine learning. Uh, so, but you know, does it ever cross the threshold to where you can sit in the back seat or the car can drive with no one in it? I think that's very likely to happen within the next seven years. But, you know, is there some probability that it doesn't happen? Yes. I just think it's a small probability. And that's why it's the nightmare scenario. Yeah, the, quest the question is, is the architecture that they now have, is that sufficient? Um, so now they are talking about the data engine, about um, solving all those corner cases. So they make it appear as it's just um, basically grinding it out and getting to, to all the corner cases and and then basically they could get it done and the big question is is that enough or do they realize at some point that they hit the local maximum and they need to switch to something completely else which um yeah puts them back five years i mean that could be part of the of the nightmare I, I scenario right them, i don't see it putting them back five years but sure i mean they, the, the thing is they know enough about what they're doing that it appears that the there's this recent story that there's they're shipping S's and X's with hardware four now, and the camera placement hasn't changed. The cameras are still in the same locations. Um, you know, there's this there's people have this idea that Tesla needs cameras in different locations as if they know better what what the auto they know better than the autopilot team. I think the autopilot team knows what they're doing. So, you know, and they're they may be adding high definition radar to the to the vehicles. I don't know whether that's in there or not. Is that necessary? I don't know. Does it add value? I don't know. But uh, yeah, so that's that's the nightmare scenario. Why don't we turn to the base case? Absolutely. So the base case is by 2030, Tesla has a robo-taxi fleet of a million vehicles. That's Tesla owned. At Autonomy Day back in like 2000, I think it was 2019, Elon said that ultimately they expected to have a robo-taxi fleet of 10 million vehicles, which is what I have on the, the optimist column. But with only a million vehicles in the robo-taxi fleet, which is like they solve... FSD in 2028 and they start building out the robo taxi fleet. And let's say they only have a million vehicles in their fleet by that point. I have gross profit per robo taxi at $50,000. I can dive into why I think it's $50,000, but in short, um, the vehicle should be generating a hundred thousand dollars a year in revenue. And they're more than a hundred thousand dollars in revenue. And the cost structure is maybe $15,000. Um, so the gross profit is probably really higher than this. I can dive in and explain all that, but uh, and I have videos where I go through it. 
and you end up with a gross uh, re- a gross profit for the fleet of robo taxis of fifty billion dollars, right? And then you have private robo taxis, which is like my vehicle. I put my vehicle into service as well. My vehicle generates a lot less profit for Tesla, right? Because it's only 50, Tesla's on, in this scenario, I'm paying the expenses of the vehicle and Tesla's getting, let's say a third, uh, a third of revenue. I'm making up, you know, something. This is not that important, but it's just to give a, give some context. And so then the private robo taxi fleet is generating another $15 billion in revenue for Tesla. So the total robo taxi gross revenue is $65 billion. And then I went with 12 million vehicles sold instead of the 20 million that they projected slightly higher gross profit of $10,000 a vehicle and you get gross vehicle profit of 120 billion. And then energy storage, I put up to 750, which is short of the goal they had said before investor day by half. Now it's only, it's only 25% short of what they'd said for an investor day with a profit per gigawatt hour of $200 million, which I think my numbers on profit per gigawatt hour might be high on these two. And then the gross profit for energy storage is $150 billion. And then uh, I go into bot. Uh, I'll, I'll do bot next. Bot, a million bots sold, $10,000 a bot in gross profit. And that's $10 billion in, in gross profit from bot. When you add it all up, you get a total gross profit of $345 billion, a net profit of over $200 billion with a PE ratio of 25. Now, they're growing faster, so you'd expect a higher PE ratio at this point than the previous mo- uh, model. And I ended up with a market cap of nearly $6 trillion um, with 3.5 billion shares, which that's assuming maybe some buybacks to offset the, the dilution from options. And you end up with a share price of $1,600 a share, which is 8x where we are today, more than 8x where we are today. Now, I think going through this, I think my number for gross profit for energy storage might be high. It's kind of a tricky one there because... There's a lot of people who think the gross prop, the gross margin on, on Megapack is, and, and Powerwall is really, really high. And I think it's really, really high. But still, $200, $200 a kilowatt hour may be pretty high for gross profit. But you can nitpick this in a variety of ways. I think the bot number is low. If you actually have bot, $10,000 in gross profit for bot is insanely low. Mm-hmm. But uh, even, even the 50000 I have in the, in the Optimist model, I think, is insanely low. But you end up with you know six, an 8x in share price. So... Going through this one, do you have questions about this one? No, I think it's it's quite realistic. I mean, you can, of course, you can add various other business segments, but I think it's it's conservative to to just um, leave them out. Um, or, or do you think these will be the, the major business segments, and the other ones won't be material? Uh, at Investor Day, this is another detail. They talked about heat pumps. They made it sound a lot like more like they're going to be doing heat pumps as a business going Absolutely. forward for residential and commercial buildings. Um, I don't, I haven't tried to model what that would be worth. I I don't, I feel like I don't have enough. I'm not sure I know enough to know, like, do we know how much a model Y heat pump costs? And do we know what the BTU rating is for a model Y heat pump? And, you know, would they just stack model Y heat pumps or would they build larger heat pumps? Um, I don't know the answer to that question. And Imo says that the, the PE ratio of 25 is realistic compared to Apple, I actually think uh, this scenario, Tesla is still growing much faster than Apple is today. So I think this PE ratio is low, even under the base scenario, the, the, the growth that it takes to get to 12 million vehicles and get to, you know, $6 billion market cap, $6 trillion market cap. when we're at a $600 million, we're at a 600 
billion dollar market cap now. So it's a 10 X in the market cap in eight years. That's a pretty fast growing. Sorry. Let's say gross profit or net profit of 230 billion. Tesla's revenue is 80 billion in 2022. So the, you know, the speed of growth here is crazy. So you would normally have a higher PE ratio for something growing this fast. So I, I still think in some ways this model's conservative. But sorry, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about on the base case? Um, yeah, the question is, yeah, will 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 they get any other business line up that we are not thinking about? Maybe will will Tesla Electric like get material or Tesla Insurance, or will that just be basically, uh, yeah, mixed mixed up in in um, the other in the other business lines like energy and and automotive? Uh... Yeah, so I, I think the heat pump one is a potentially large business. I think the AI training as a service is a large business. I've never tried to model AI training as a service. I have a sense of how I would start to model the heat pump. And I think that could be a big number. When you look at the scale of what they said they were going to do at Investor Day, I think that could be a big number. Um, I think that insurance in the long run will go to zero because once the cars stop crashing, like when you have FSD and the cars don't crash, well, then then insurance goes to zero because there's no value in insurance anymore. Um, I think supercharger could be something, but I don't think it's large enough to ever become significant. You know, service of vehicles, right? Um, I, I don't think those numbers ever get big enough to, to, not to say that they're zero, they're just not big enough to, to warrant being included in the spreadsheet and, and the model. So yeah, it makes absolutely, makes absolutely sense. And, and maybe also some, yeah, some new business lines will compensate for oh. other business lines that, that won't... Uh... Well, you could, yeah. have, you could have shipping and, and, and air, right? They talked about doing ships and airplanes, right? So you could all of a sudden have that. But And then you're right, Tesla Electric, you know, do they form a utility company? I don't think utilities tend to be that high in terms of profit, like on this scale of profit. So I don't know that that would be that big, but it's possible. So can, we go, to the, can we go to the optimist yeah. scenario? Let's, let's go optimistic. Okay, this is where we get crazy. <laughs> So we start with a 10,000 vehicle robo-taxi fleet. Now, this is not hard to get to. If they, let's say they nail robo-taxi by 2025. This number is probably small, right? Because Tesla will be making 5 million of these a year by 2026. And all they have to do is take two years of that production into in keeping it themselves. And they have a 10 million vehicle robo-taxi fleet. I think their robo-taxi fleet will actually end up being much larger than this. Not necessarily by 2030, but I think it could be larger by 2030. And then I've got $60,000 in gross profit for robo-taxis. The same rough story. And, you know, 10 million robo-taxis is not that much in the grand scheme of things. There's a whole bunch of reasons why this ends up being um, reasonable. Then you get a, a gross profit for the fleet of $600 billion. Just on the robo a 10 million vehicle robo-taxi fleet. Then you add in the privately owned robo-taxis like mine with uh, one third of that gross profit, you get another $200 billion in gross profit for Tesla. And you're at $800 billion in gross profit, which is 10X Tesla's revenue in 2022, right? See, that, that's a big number. Then vehicles sold, we go to 20 million vehicles, we assume $20,000 in gross profit per vehicle, and you get $400 billion in gross profit from the vehicle side. Then energy storage, now this one I went too high, Right, because I went for 1.5 terawatt hours when Tesla has now said their goal for 2030 is one terawatt hour. So we, I would have to reduce this number. Let's do it now. As long as we're here, let's just do it now. Okay, so so now we get uh, $300 uh, a kilowatt hour turns into $300 million a gigawatt hour, and you get a gross profit of $300 billion. So 
Um, oh, our market cap fell to 83 trillion instead of 88 trillion. Sell, sell your stock now. Um, <laughs> 20 million bots sold instead of 1 million bots sold. $50,000 gross profit for bot. Let me dive into bot for a second. If bot is at all productive and it replaces human, it, it does work that humans would normally do for $10 an hour, let's say $15 an hour cost to the employer. And they work double shifts. They work 4,000 hours a year. A, a human typically works 2,000 hours a year. So they work 4,000 hours a year at $15, saving the employer $15 an hour over paying a human to do the job. That's $60,000 a year in value saved to the employer and the bot works for 10 years, it's generating $600,000 in value for its owner. And a bot should cost less than $5,000 to make when you consider the mass and the, you know, the various components, once you're making them at scale, the way Tesla manufactures at scale. So $50,000 gross profit per bot is tiny. You could easily see $100,000, $200,000 gross profit per bot. So I think, you know, calling it $50,000 a bot. And, and actually, I think 20 million bots is actually also a potentially very small number compared to where we're going. Elon said, that, you know, he could see a ratio of, you know, more than one bot per human in the long run. Well, that's over 8 billion bots. You know, you, you'd, you'd have to be producing 100 million bots a year for 80 years to get there. So the volume of bots that are going to need to be produced is really, really high if Elon's correct about that. But anyway, with 20 million bots and $50,000 in gross profit, you end up with another trillion in gross profit. So that when you add them all together, you end up with $2.5 trillion in gross profit, right? Which is, you know, the numbers are just crazy at this point. $1.7 trillion in net profit, giving it a 50 price earnings ratio because now we've grown a lot faster, right? And there's tremendous room for bot to grow and RoboTaxi to grow in this story. And you end up with uh, an $83 trillion market cap and again, with some share buybacks, you're down to 3 billion shares and you're at a $28,000 share price, right? Up from 200 today. That's like a 14X. No, is it 140X? It's 140X. So I will, be, I will be sipping drinks on my yacht and fly to meet you on my private jet, my, EV, my private EV tall jet that Tesla has made by this point and hasn't made the spreadsheet. So that's, I mean, that's the, that's the, the thing with, if you look at this story, like I think that the, the nightmare scenario is some probability it happens, but you don't lose that much in the nightmare scenario. You really have to construct some pretty bad nightmares to get below $100 a share, right? Even the PE ratio of 10, the company's growing fast enough, the PE ratio should be higher than 10, right? And there's always the prospect that maybe they're getting close to RoboTaxi at this point, and you still have that hope that it's going to happen at this point. So this is still kind of low. Then you get your base case, which I honestly think this is pessimistic in a variety of ways. And you're still at an 8x of the stock price compared to today in eight years. Like, I'd be pretty happy at $1,000 a share. You know, I just know from my own net worth, my own holdings of Tesla stock, that, that puts me in another category by quite a bit, right? To get to, get to just $1,000 a share puts me in another category. But, you know, $1,600 a share, you know, is crazy. And, you know, you have to you have to ask yourself, is there some probability we get to the optimist scenario? And, you know, I think the base case scenario is 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 borderline likely to, to you know, more than likely that we get at least to that point. And the optimist scenario is. I don't want to say it's likely, but it's at least a 10 or 20 percent chance we get there. 
And if you get there, you know, if you, if you, this is what I think the analysts miss is you should evaluate all things that you think are potentially going to happen. Um, and then assign some probability to the scenarios and the probability of the scenario is not zero. It's probably 10%. So Imo says the optimistic is too optimistic that bots would be more of a renting or leasing model and solar is missing. So I, I've tried to model solar and I never get solar to add up to enough value to bother including. I, I sort of include solar in Powerwall in my models when I do the dollars per kilowatt hour for, for energy storage. So I just sort of treat solar as adding into Powerwall and that sort of raises the dollars per kilowatt hour for solar. But if you just try to model solar, it just ends up not generating anywhere near the profits of everything else. So it's, it doesn't add enough enough. But bots would be more of a renting leasing model. Even if bots are a renting leasing model, then you're still making the crazy profits. It's just a question of which way you make the profits. So exactly. And if we if we are thinking about the bot, I mean, you could also think about like an app store for the bot. So you get like, like the basic model that just can do yes. one task, maybe moving boxes. And then if you want to do, then you can charge per task, right? And then yeah. you have infinite room for, for growth. So, so there is a whole um, software um, ecosystem that could be built on top of the, of the bot. And then we're not only talking about humanoid bots, you can have bots in various shapes and, and form factors, right? Yeah. Uh, once you nail the software. So I think the big question um, is really, will they ever achieve um, level five or a robotaxi-like um, offering? And if they do, then I think um, there won't be a base case because there, there won't be just a million cars. Either it works and then it will be a really big number or it won't work and then it will stay the same. So maybe we need a base case where they won't achieve full level five, but they still achieve the 20 million. They still achieve the, the energy that they want to do, but they don't achieve Optimus and they don't achieve full self-driving. Maybe enhance what they already have. Maybe they can charge whatever 10K for it. Um, and I think then it still would be a really interesting case for investors. Yeah, and I think if you go in between base case and Optimus case, you probably end up at $2,000 to $5,000 a share. Exactly. And, and if they nail one of the two big things, um, Robotaxi or Optimus, I think the sky is the limit because then they can just, yeah, then they will be supply constrained for decades to come, I, I, would, I would assume. I mean, then we're talking about replacing all of public transportation. Then we're talking about integrating with Hyperloops and replacing uh, short haul flights and everything. I mean, it's absolutely crazy how big the numbers could get. Um, yeah. uh, replacing trains and everything that the yeah public transportation basically so, and lo logistics we haven't even talked about lo logistics right i mean right. there's a huge opportunity in logistics right. so i think um the question is will they nail one of the two things and i think if they nail it then um it will be an optimistic scenario the only question is how how big will it will it get will they get broken up by the government because i think at at one point the main risk would become like uh, yeah, monopolistic uh, things, right? So so um, government intervention could could become a risk, um, but uh, yeah, I think that's that's the big that's the big thing. But but I would say that it's pretty certain that they will get to twenty million. The only question is, will they achieve it until twenty thirty? I don't know. Maybe it will take three years, five years, five years longer. Who cares? But I think there is a really good chance they will get to twenty million. I think there is a really good chance they will get to 
hundreds of millions of um, gigawatt hours of, of storage. I think that's also really likely. And then, yeah, the question is how much software will they be able to add? And how much will people be able to pay, be willing to pay for, for um, not level five uh, software and, and for all the additions that they could get? And then uh, I think it still could be a really interesting case. And I, so, yeah. so I think for me, realistically, I, I think the downside is, is super low. And it's just you, you have the option to get absolutely crazy numbers if yeah. some, something goes right. right? Yeah, let me just, on the optimist scenario, I've got, I boxed off the, um, the robo-taxi fleet section on the, top, on the top of that spreadsheet. And I've modeled this before, and I've, I've gone through this, and there's easily room for a 100 million robo-taxi fleet. The, the gross profit per robo-taxi would fall. Once you, once you start scaling robo-taxis enough that you have enough supply, then you know, supply and demand, you, you get to a point where the price people are willing to pay for a ride starts to fall you know, the, um, because there's so many robo-taxis. You, you, you need to lower price to get more people to ride it, you know, even without competition, if you want more people to ride it. And so you, I can see a scenario where you end up with 100 million robo-taxis. Let me just put that in here. Just for the heck of it, I'm going to put in a hundred million robo taxi fleet. I'm going to lower the gross profit for a vehicle to twenty thousand dollars, and we just push the the market cap up to 130 trillion. <laughs> okay, and and this is completely, you know, this is just, you know, you've lowered the price of a robo taxi ride to fifty cents instead of a dollar twenty or something like that, or a dollar fifty, and and by lowering the price, now the cost of operating these futuristic robo taxis is lower, and you end up with a gross profit of twenty thousand. So I, I've lowered the gross profit per vehicle by a third, you know, by, by 66%. I've lowered it from 60,000 to 20,000. So I lowered it by two thirds. And because you 10X the number of vehicles, but you only, you know, cut the, the profit to one third, you still get a three X in the gross profit. So you can see how you play with these numbers and you can get crazy results. You can say, well, what if they sell a hundred million bots, right? And then what if they make a hundred thousand dollars a bot? which I still think is not crazy. Now you're at a 400 trillion. And so you, <laughs> so you, you can play with these numbers and um, um, you, know, you can get all kinds of different things as a result. So, Yeah, but uh, then we, we, we interacted on Twitter and pe people kept saying that, uh, yeah, basically it, then Tesla would be a huge part of the, of the global economy, blah, blah, blah. What, what, what do you say? What do you say? Um, uh, well, I, I think you're correct that there's that the greatest risk to Tesla in the future is government intervention. And my expectation is, we, should we take this off the, take the spreadsheet off while we're talking? Yeah, sure. um, and by the way, I, I, I no longer have a, I was supposed to see somebody in 15 minutes and that, that's all that's over. So I have, I have more time if you want me to spend more time with you. Awesome. Uh, awesome. Um, I think we're the government intervention issue. I expect that Tesla will anticipate that and Tesla will break itself up in mm. advance of government intervention. So just as an example, Tesla could say, okay, we're spinning off the robo taxi fleet as its own business. We're spinning off China as its own business. We're spinning off Tesla energy as its own business. We're spinning off bot as its own business. And now Tesla, the company as a whole, is not as big. The individual components are big, right? And Elon, of course, owns a big chunk of everything. So Elon is insanely wealthy. This is another thing, by the way, when you're wondering about who's going to pay for Mars, you know, if Tesla ends, if the, if Tesla ends up being a $100 trillion company and Elon owns 15% of Tesla, let's say, I think he may end up owning 20%, but let's say he owns 15%, then he's got $15 trillion in net worth just on Tesla. 
That doesn't count his net worth from SpaceX, Neuralink, and The Boring Company and, and Twitter. So, you know, if it's going to cost a trillion dollars to build a Mars colony, maybe Elon just writes the checks himself. I, I think uh, people... Absolutely. Oh. You know, he just, he, just, he just pays for it out of dividends from Tesla. You know, the robo-taxi network is spinning off dividends and Starlink is spinning off dividends and um, he just builds the Mars colony himself. Because I don't think governments are going to fund Mars. True, true. I, I, I think, I, I think Elon, Elon is the prime, prime candidate for that. Yeah, the question is for, for me. I think it will be a race between Elon and and Satoshi Nakamoto, um, uh, to to uh, first trillionaire in in human history. And I think, uh, yeah, it might be a tight, tight race. But but maybe. What What do you think? Do, do you think Elon Elon will win? Are you sure Elon isn't Satoshi Nakamoto? <laughs> I don't think he is. I don't. I have not. I don't know enough about Satoshi Nakamoto. I think that uh, Bitcoin billionaire trillionaires or whatever. I'm not sure how real. You know, can how easy is it to convert your Bitcoin trillion into something real? Um, I mean, it's going to be a little bit tricky for Elon to sell off whatever he has and convert that into real money too. But I think he, he'll manage. So, and I think, you know, the other thing we should, the other objection I get to these crazy numbers is, well, that's bigger than, than GDP, than the global GDP. Like, okay, so market cap doesn't map to GDP. Market cap maps, maps to global wealth, right? And, and revenue or profit, profit really maps to GDP. So the profit numbers can get really high, right? But don't forget that the, these changes are going to accelerate growth in the world economy, as well, the, the world economy, you know, if you lower the cost of transportation from a currently, you know, people are paying, let's say, an average of a dollar a mile. If you lower the cost of transportation to 50 cents a mile, then you've just made things better. If you've lowered the cost of energy, then you've made the economy more productive. So I think there's a lot of people missing that the economy becomes more productive as these changes happen. And so we see significant the, the idea is you're going to see significant economic growth. <laughs> and you also see. Bless you. This, when you see a certain like wave of innovation, like the, the personal computer comes about, then you see this wave of other innovation that this, this whole bunch of other innovation that rides on the wave of the personal computer. You get Google search, and then you get a whole bunch of innovation that rides on search, right? Search engine optimization, search engine marketing. You get social media, then you get social media marketing. You get all these businesses that spin off of the existence of social media. So, the changes that we're going to see that result from having bought, from having robo-taxi, from having a transition to sustainable energy, from having, you know, you know, mega packs everywhere and solar everywhere, that's going to create spin-off businesses that are going to grow the economy more. And, and just because we can't see what they are now doesn't mean they're not going to happen. And of course, it will also replace a lot, right? I mean, it will replace the fossil fuel or a large part of the fossil fuel economy it will replace uh, current public transportation. So I think there will be a lot of replacement. But yeah, I think that's that's one of my key takeaways, like from Master Plan Part 3, right? I mean, it's clear that the sun provides so much more energy than, than we could possibly use. I mean, I think it's uh, 5,000 times the energy that we currently use or something. So it's it's only a matter of capturing it. So Elon said it clearly, that's, that's basically a sustainable um, energy economy can support a civilization that is many times larger than what we currently have. Um, that's the first point. And the second point is, 
if we get to robots, if we get to AI and automation and, and everything, if that continues, then basically you can also grow the economy. And I think the, the, the thing to realize is that the optimistic scenario, as you say it, will grow the economy. So the economy will become five times, 10 times, whatever times larger. And then Tesla will just be a, a part of that bigger global economy, right? And, and then I think these numbers become more realistic. So you cannot compare a future optimistic scenario with the current um, size of the economy. That doesn't make any sense because the economy has already grown because we have um, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of bots and, and robotaxis, etc. So I think um, people always have to put that into perspective. And then, as you said, um, you have to compare market cap with um, global wealth and you have to compare like gross profit or net profit with, with GDP and GDP growth, um, uh, GDP will grow in that scenario, um, yeah, will grow significantly. So it cannot just grow at 5% per year. Uh, that doesn't map out, right? Right. So, so I think, um, yeah, what, what other criticisms do you, do you hear um, regarding your models when you put, put that out? Uh, I think maybe maybe it could take a lot longer, right? Because I, I had a look at your oh. original uh, battery revenue model, I think from two or three years ago. And there you had, I, I don't know, um, yeah, um, tens of thousands of semis already in 2022. You had a Cybertruck in 2022. Then in 2023, I think you started with uh, some robotaxi revenue already. And it's already clear, of course, that, that it's taking longer. So I think a realistic thing is that everything will take three, five, maybe seven years longer. But I think Elon has a track record of maybe being late. But as, as you said it on Twitter, he turns impossible into late, but he still turns impossible into, into reality. And I think that's maybe what people are not realizing or not understanding, that all of these things that he talked about are possible and are not just theoretically possible, but there is a path to get there. It's not guaranteed. It's, it's not guaranteed that it will really happen, but there is a realistic path that it might happen. And, and I think, um, yeah, maybe, maybe it will just take five years longer, but, but who cares? I mean, we can, we can wait five years longer, right? For, for this optimistic scenario, it would yeah. be absolutely fine. Yeah. And when I put the hundred million robo taxi fleet, and I don't think that's going to happen by 2030, but I, I think, you know, pushing it back to 2032 is reasonable. Um, but I, I actually think there's a chance they're going to do 20 million vehicles before 2030. I think if they build these next generation vehicle factories um, at the same time and they ramp in 18 months, well, <laughs> if each factory is going to produce, you know, 2 million vehicles, then you've already got... 8 million vehicles just on those four factories plus the, I mean, I, as I see it, Shanghai can produce a million a year. Fremont can get close to a million a year. Giga Texas can probably do 2 million a year and Giga Berlin can probably do a million a year. So you've got 5 million on the existing factories plus, you know, 8 million out of these four factories. And then you're probably going to build more of them. So you're at 13 million in not very long. And then, you know, you, then you're going to get a van and the van's going to be big. And so I, I, 
it looks like we're no longer cell const- you know there's still this constraint of refining lithium fast enough and refining nickel fast enough but if we're going to lithium iron phosphate you know the nickel problem becomes a lot less you know i th- i think things look really good um to get to 20 million by 2030 and i just having been driving fsd beta for a year and a half i think things look really good for fsd to get there you know i you know, Elon said the compute's going to 10x this year and 10x again next year. It's going to be, you know, 100 times faster in two years. They've got tons of data being generated. It's just, you know, getting the compute and being able to do better models for... I think it's likely we're going to be there by the end of next year, if not sooner. Um, and, you know... I think yeah. on the software side, this is possible. But I think on the on the hardware and manufacturing side, I think... It will just take its time un- until even if they would be able to stamp out a new factory in 12 months, then you still it, it still takes another six months to get to volume production. And that's in a super optimistic scenario. And then you have to manage the supply chain. Hell, I mean, that, that doesn't go away, right? In 18 months, I, I, it's a year to build the factory in 18 months. And you're still way before 2030, you have all these factories running. So I, I don't, I just don't see, you know, I think the, the question is, can they get enough lithium refined? Uh, can they get enough uh, nickel refined? Can they get enough uh, cathode processing done to be able to produce cells in high volume? I think CATL is not having a problem ramping their production of batteries. And I don't think LG Chem is having a problem. So that, you know, it's not just Tesla's batteries, it's partner batteries. So there's just a lot of positives here. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I, I have the feeling that it, it's some things will take longer, but I think the software side could surprise us. So I think the software side there, you could get just a step change, and then level five is enabled, and then it will, as Elon says, it it will create the biggest, probably the biggest asset increase in in history overnight, um, yeah. because cars instantaneously become five times more more productive, right? So I think this is possible, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical about the supply chain because, um, I mean, we're now talking about they already had a back office hell, supply chain hell, everything, and we will keep having geopolitical problems. We will keep having whatever floods and, and tsunamis and, and uh, earthquakes and, and stuff. So, so I think there will be roadblocks um, down the line. But um, yeah, on the other hand, I mean, Maybe they're already preparing all of the all of the pieces uh, into into place, right? I mean, they they learned from from the pandemic, they learned from from the chip shortages. So um, I think they're planning ahead. But the question is, do they have enough like talented people? Maybe this becomes the bottleneck, right, to to tackle everything. Yep. So that's that's the question. Do, do you think all of this is dependent on Elon, or what would happen if he uh, disappeared tomorrow? So so how much of the vision, like if we compare it with Apple, I mean Apple is doing reasonably well now, uh, twelve years um, after Steve Jobs died. So so how long do you think could Tesla keep up the the speed and and uh, could they get uh, Robotaxi and Optimus done without Elon? What's your opinion? I think you saw it on the stage. You saw that, that there's a solid team that knows what they're doing. And I think you can see that Zach Kirkhorn and Drew Baglino are instrumental in running the company. You know, it was it was it was a notable thing. There was a story a while back that Tom Zhu was now the number two guy at Tesla. 
And then when they had these guys sitting on the stage, uh, you know, Zach was on Elon's right and Drew was on Elon's left. I mean, arguably that means Zach is his right-hand man, but, you know, he was surround. Those are the two guys next to him. And, you know, Zach had his own time on the stage and Drew led a couple, led two or three different moments. I think he was up on the stage with Elon. He was up on the stage with Tom Zhu and he was up on the stage with one other guy. Um, there is a really solid leadership team in place. And that wasn't everybody. I mean, I've met at least one other person from the Tesla leadership team who was not on the stage because he's not an engineer. He's not in that, that sector of the company. There is a great leadership team there. So the way I would put it is everything that we've talked about is baked in already. Um, what Elon is, is an accelerator. So, you know, maybe it happens a little faster if Elon's there. And then every once in a while, you need to make a game-changing decision like Cybertruck or Starship being made out of stainless steel. Um, I have a feeling that the heat pump is already baked in. But, you know, let's say the electric vertical takeoff and landing jet. Like, if that's something that's going to happen, that probably doesn't happen without Elon. Right? The, the shipping probably doesn't happen without Elon. I'm not sure about that because I think Drew gets all of that. I think Zach probably gets all of that. I think there's people on the team who get all that. I think they've had these conversations. They know where they're going. But I think Elon is just, you know, when you need that game-changing decision that needs to be made, you need somebody who can make that decision. And in a company that's um, not, that doesn't have that kind of leader, it's harder to make those decisions. So, you know, like splitting up the company because we're anticipating, you know, regulation from government. Elon would be able to make that call. And it's not clear that somebody else would. And, you know, who's the backup CEO? I think it's actually Kimball because mm. I think, I think if Elon disappears, then Kimball gets control of Elon's stock. Um, and, and Kimball understands the mission. Well, I, I think, you know, Zach or Drew would also be great leaders for the company. So there's sort of also the question of who wants the job, right? You have to want the job, but yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Elon is really important in kickstarting projects and yeah, making these really um, courageous pivots. I, I, I don't think anybody else could, could do that. Yeah, maybe maybe Kimball. But um, it's, it's hard if you're not the owner operator, right? So even if Drew or Zach could think about those decisions, I think they just wouldn't have like the yeah, the, the 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 charisma and the and the shares behind uh, behind it to to uh, to to really back it up, right? Well, so Kimble, I think Kimball would uh, have the shares behind him. That's my point. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. So what what other risks do you see? Do you see like China as as a big big risk, or or what what are your biggest risks for China's, for your thesis? There's a very common perception that the Chinese government is a big threat to Tesla, and I would say. The U.S. government is a big threat to Tesla. The German government's a big threat to Tesla. The, te the, the California government's a big threat to Tesla. Um, geopolitical risk is political risk is political risk. And the idea that this, somehow that like what country let, you know, China is the country where Tesla built a factory faster than anywhere else and ramped vehicles faster than anywhere else. It seems to me that the Chinese government is very friendly to Tesla. And the U.S. government has not been very friendly, at least the, the leadership of the current U.S. government, the current leadership of the U.S. government has not been very friendly to Tesla. So, I, I mean, I think there's always some kind of political risk there, but, you know, that's not, that risk is the same, like when you're making investment decisions, you have to recognize that every company is dependent on China. 
every company you're investing in is almost every company you're investing in is dependent on China in some way, you know, for parts, for, you know, supply chain. So you're not investing in Tesla in a vacuum. You're investing in Tesla as compared to investing in something else. And if the other stuff would have the same problems, if China had these changes, then what difference does it make? Um, you know, you could have a global thermonuclear war that destroys the world. You know, I, I would say at that point, the value of your Tesla stock is probably not your first concern. Um, if there's a limited nuclear war, what does that do? There's all kinds of scenarios. Uh, there's too many scenarios to count. Um, but I think the thing we've seen is, and, and that was explained at, at Investor Day, was the supply chain team is better prepared to react to global problems than anywhere else than anyone else is. So I'm not too worried about it. And they're localizing the supply chain. So if China goes down, Fremont and Texas and, and Berlin will go on fine. And, you know, the next factory, wherever that's going to be. So, Yeah, but I think there, there's a limit. They talked about double sourcing and triple sourcing. And then Elon basically um, yeah, said that you can't double and triple source like the really big and important stuff. You cannot build double and triple the amount of gigafactories just in case there is an earthquake uh, and stuff. So I think there remains a risk for, for such a big thing. Or, or what if Tesla gets too big and there is like an anti- Tesla movement by whatever some some Gen Z or some some group and then um, what do you mean what and, if there is an anti-Tesla movement there already is an anti-Tesla movement and then everyone that owns a Tesla like gets their gets their uh, tires slid up or something I mean it could it could happen there could be sabotage there could be um uh, yeah coordinated really nasty attacks right on Tesla owners and and stuff like that I mean I, I'm just fantasizing here but I think that's that's not impossible in 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 the in an era of social media and and craziness uh, of of uh, yeah of of the woke mind virus, right? Uh, the woke mind virus is a threat. <laughs> I think you know, population collapse is a threat. Uh, there's a lot of different threats out there. Yeah. So uh, let's let's uh, maybe lastly talk about competition. Who who would you say would be the main competitor to to this whole Tesla story or the optimistic? scenario is there any competition is it even relevant yesterday i talked with alex uh, forked about that and basically we came to the conclusion that um it's just an execution game and actually it's the other way around it's it's better if tesla has more competitors because um even if tesla builds 20 million um they assume that um world production will be uh, what they talked about 80 million 85 million so then we still need 60 65 million per year produced by other by by all others right so so i think it's it's really um yeah the, the master plan three i think is an opportunity to unite all of the forces governments uh, the whole industry and and to really get it done and then the question for me really is is competition really a, a point is, is it really relevant how, how do you think about that so first of all the the saying from tesla q from the tesla haters is the competition is coming and, and i think that misunderstands something global production of vehicles was something like 60 million vehicles and tesla sold 1.3 million vehicles last year maybe 60 or 70 million i don't remember the exact number so and tesla's growing it's not that the competition is coming for tesla it's that tesla is the competition and tesla is coming for the rest of the global vehicle market <laughs> and not to mention the energy market and so on and so forth tesla is the competition um the way i see the competitive landscape playing out if we're going to call it a competitive landscape is as tesla grows 
they eat market share from the established legacy automakers from Volkswagen, Toyota, Daimler, BMW, General Motors, Ford, et cetera. All of those companies have a huge amount of debt. And at some point, some of them will be unable to pay their debt. Um, one second. Um, sorry. You know, so somebody fails. General Motors, Ford, Volkswagen, Toyota, somebody fails. And that company failing, there, now there's two scenarios there. One scenario is a company fails and they just fail. And then other companies hoover up, eat up their market share, right? Another scenario is a company fails and their government bails them out. And what I think is most likely to happen is Volkswagen, Ford, General Motors, and Toyota fail. And others fail. And their governments bail them out. Now, their governments bailing them out will keep them alive. Um, they'll eat their debt. But it won't make them competitive. They're, they're, they have a lot of reasons why they're not competitive. And their debt is only one of them. And it's a small reason why they're not competitive. They're not competitive because they have their dealer model that's a problem. They're not competitive because they have union labor. They're not competitive because they don't. Fundamentally, they're not competitive because they don't innovate fast enough. And their, their bureaucratic structures prevent them from innovating fast enough. And government intervention will probably create more bureaucratic hurdles within those organizations that make it even harder for them to innovate faster. So I think ultimately legacy auto is dead. With maybe the exception of Hyundai Kia, maybe there'll be one or two that, are, that figure it out and survive. But by and large, I think legacy auto is dead. So that leaves who else? Well, there's some Chinese startups like NEO and BYD is sort of a startup and Xpeng. I, I can't say Elon seemed to think that, that the, the most likely sources of innovation, uh, you know, com competition or, or other vehicle makers that survive would be in China. Um, yeah, I think Hyundai Kia has a shot. They're certainly making EVs more better. I think they're making the most competitive EVs for the space where there's volume. Right, like the Porsche Taycan is a great car, but it's too expensive. It's not better than a Model S for one thing, but the number of people who can buy $100,000 cars is small. Hyundai's working on it. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, the, the, the question is, <clears throat> is there any other company that could build like a similar conglomerate or a similarly integrated conglomerate where you could have like, no multiple business lines um no. like ai capabilities no. robotaxi capabilities energy capabilities I, I i don't think so i don't i don't see it do, no, do you see no. do, do you see google go there do you see microsoft go there what if microsoft now really um, yeah integrates with with open ai and uh, somehow they purchase whatever they, they purchase byd or they purchase uh, some other startup and then could that oh, be a path? I don't see it happening that way. I, I mean, I think I could see another scenario. Like, I don't, I don't see anyone innovating in that way. I, the one thing I could see is that um, AGI comes about, right? That you know, maybe multi, one company or multiple mm. companies develop AGI, artificial general intelligence, artificial super intelligence, <laughs> which creates a whole another set of concerns and risks for the world. But if somebody creates artificial super intelligence and they say, "Hey, how do we build a company bigger than Tesla?" and the artificial superintelligence gets to work, then maybe that ends up leading to something happening. But, you know, the artificial superintelligence would probably say, well, why, why don't we chase some other market sector that they're not in, right? 
Um, you know, there's a lot of opportunities. I think we, we get focused on competing with Tesla. We forget there's a lot of other areas in the global economy that need innovation, like housing, like healthcare, like uh, education. There's large swaths of the economy that need this level of innovation to happen, and they're not. it's not happening in the way it should. And I think there's a lot of opportunities for those things to happen. Um, yeah, me mental health, nutrition, so, so many, so many areas. Yeah. I actually think we understand nutrition a lot better now than we used to. We just don't like the answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exa exactly, exactly, exactly. We like, we like our carbs. We, we like eating too much and we like our carbs. And look, the answer is like, I, I, I don't know if you know, I've been, I've been going to the gym almost every day for about a year and a half. I've been eating better, you know, and it's, it's honestly like, it's not that hard. You just have to set your mind to it and commit yourself to it and keep doing it. And I'm not saying it's easy, but it's not that hard. And people just don't want to do that. People, I, I have, you know, friends who get drunk all the time, friends who eat too much, friends who smoke or whatever, marijuana, whatever it is. People are looking to be diverted from reality rather than embracing reality. So I, mean, I think that's another thing, entertainment. You're going to see it. We're going to see a revolution in entertainment within a year or two with uh, large language models are going to start making videos. It's not that long where you're going to be able to say to a, a comp your, your computer, hey, play me a video with blah, blah, blah. And like 90% of the requests will be pornographic. But, uh, but you know, do you know, make a video with a story like this and it'll be on the screen in, in 10 minutes. And it's going to wipe out Hollywood. It's going to wipe out. I mean, I think so. Um, yeah, that's a, that's, a good, that's a good point. So if, if, we, <clears throat> if we go that route, AGI, then... Yeah, then then I think um, that could possibly be the the main competitor for Tesla, right? So if we get to AGI, I mean, then we possibly have other other problems, right? But um, if AGI would like um, integrate into our um, into our society, that's not guaranteed, right? But if it would integrate, I think it would be a prime candidate, of course, to to compete because it would be so much more intelligent and and. Uh, have so much more uh, possibilities and, and resources. So I think that that could be a possibility. But other than that, do you see any other like company organization like going to uh, get to robot taxis or do, do you follow Mobileye or what others are doing? Um, uh, do, do you think that's yeah, somebody? So, so what if what if Tesla gets there? How long do you think will it take some others to get there as well? My analogy for my, my answer to that is very simple. I, I live in Cape Canaveral, Florida, and I watch rocket launches and I watch rockets land. So December 21, 2015, SpaceX landed its first orbital rocket booster. It just recently completed landing more than 100 in a row safely, you know, launch and landing safely. They've, they've demonstrated massive reliability. They're launching two thirds of uh, payload to orbit by mass in the world. Um, no one else has even tried to land an orbital rocket booster yet. Right. So SpaceX's lead is more than seven years and it will probably be eight years. I don't think anybody's going to land an orbital rocket booster this year. So SpaceX's lead is really eight years. Right. If not longer. And SpaceX is stretching the lead. They're accelerating with Starship. Right. To be able to not only land an orbital rocket booster, be able to land a second stage and land an orbital rocket booster in a second stage at the launch site and refuel them and launch them again. Like they're so far ahead. It's ridiculous. Well, I think Tesla is roughly that far ahead. I mean, I, you know, especially when it comes to self-driving, I follow Mobileye a little bit. I follow some other companies a little bit, Cruise, Waymo, um, 
nobody has the fleet generating the data and nobody has the, the, the AI training supercomputer going at this intensity, especially with Dojo coming, nobody has the data and nobody has the compute. So either self-driving is actually a much easier problem than we thought. And somebody's going to solve it without all the data in the compute. I suppose that's possible. It seems unlikely, or it's just a really hard problem. And you get to this other issue, which I, I would say the same thing is true with Starlink. And really the same thing is true with SpaceX. You know, if China wanted to land orbital rocket boosters, it's just a matter of spending money and hiring former SpaceX engineers, right? It really, it's surprising that they haven't hired former SpaceX engineers yet and succeeded in landing orbital rocket boosters. Like it's stunning that because China has the money, China has the motivation, like even they haven't done it yet. So I, I think you just have to look at it and say what, you know, I don't see anybody on the path. There's no one on the on the right path. I mean, comma.ai has vehicles out there and they but they don't have the train they don't have the supercomputer capacity and they don't have the, the volume of data. As far as I know, Mobileye is not collecting the same the same quantity and quality of data that Tesla's collecting. I don't see anybody who is. Yeah, so so could that be Tesla's secret sauce? I, I was also thinking uh, with with Alex yesterday what is really Tesla's secret sauce? So, so I, I think for me, the answer is the mission-driven, um, like, like uh, yeah, that they are mission-driven first. So, so they have a goal that is greater, uh, yeah, they, they have a goal for the greater good. And then with that, they attract the best people. And then they build a system and DNA that enables them to just innovate really fast. So the pace of innovation, if I had to boil it down to one thing, I would say the pace of innovation is their competitive advantage. What, 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 what would you say? What, what, yeah, what's... I would say similarly, um, the secret to Elon's companies, not just Tesla, is that he's great at building great teams. And it's, hmm. he, he sets forth an outlandish mission. We're going to build a colony on Mars with a million people. Like not just we're going to launch, because you know, started, we're going to launch a private space, pay, uh, a rocket to orbit, but it pretty quickly became, we're going to build a million person colony on Mars. And I talked to a SpaceX engineer who is convinced that he's going to Mars. Like I when I was at Starbase, I talked to a guy, he's convinced he's going to Mars. Um, they believe they're going to Mars. They want to go to Mars. They believe in the mission, not every single employee, right? But there's a lot of people there who want to go to Mars and they want to make it happen. And with Tesla, we're going to accelerate the transition to sustainable energy. And so you start with this outlandish mission and Neuralink is going to, you know, do a brain implant that's going to, you know, allow us to keep up with AI and cure paralysis and cure blindness, you know, like crazy stuff, but, you know, set up big mission. Um, and then the boss doesn't just talk. He throws himself into the, into it. He works harder than you do. Um, and then I would say there's another thing, which is the willingness to make big decisions, right? Going to stainless steel on Starship, um, doing Cybertruck. Um, think about when, when Tesla started deciding we're going to put cameras in every car, right? So we're collecting this data so we can get there. And we're going to build a supercharger network, right? Nobody else made these decisions, just Tesla. Because Elon was able to say, this is what we're doing. And yes, I know it's going to cost money, but we need to do this. And it later turns out, wow, this is a really good idea. And, you know, 
I, I one thing I would say we talked about you know who's competing with Tesla for, and it's like look. As far as I see it, everybody who's trying to make EVs right now is trying to catch up to the 2018 Model 3, right? They're, they're trying to, they're getting closer. Like Hyundai's got the Ionic 6 and it's sort of almost as good as a 2018 Model 3. It is and it isn't, right? They're getting closer. But what they should be doing is they should say, I just watched Investor Day. I just saw what their plans are for 2025. Let's see if we can make something like that by 2027. Instead of saying maybe by 2025 we can catch up to the Model 3, how about we aim for 2027 and we say let's see if we can get, we can get something close to what they just said they're going to do in 2025. And I don't see anybody looking at the future like that and saying, hey, let's try this unbox process. Let's see if we can engineer motors without, um, without rare earths and reducing the, the silicon carbide. You know, let's let's see if we can get 90% of what Tesla said they're going to do by 2027 in that future vehicle. But that would require huge decisions and also a willingness to bet the company. And I think that may also be a part of, of Elon's magic. He's always bet everything he had. And even at SpaceX, I mean, they nailed Falcon 1 and, and they could have just... Um, yeah, used Falcon 1 to generate revenue, but they went immediately to Falcon 9. And yeah. now they could milk Falcon 9 for the next 10 years and be way ahead and just generate money with it. And now they are betting everything on Starlink and Starship. So they keep basically upping the, the stakes and reinvesting everything they have into this big outlandish mission. And I think that's, that's part of it. And then part is also... I think just the, the innovator's dilemma. So, so yeah, and the first principles thinking, because if you start with a blank sheet of paper, then you can really reinvent the future or invent a, a new kind of future. And the other companies are stuck with the innovator's dilemma because they have a path dependency that they are stuck with, with a certain system, with a certain whatever customer base. And it's so much harder to, to reinvent something existing than to invent it in the first place. And I think, yeah, Elon's willingness to bet everything he has, and then not only that, but also, um, yeah, basically invest himself completely into it. I mean, he, he works himself to, to death, basically, and, and he will work himself to death, I, I would assume. It's, it's no fun being Elon, right? I mean, uh, I, I certainly wouldn't, wouldn't uh, want to switch uh, places with him. So um, I think that's, that's it. And I think this combination then attracts the best people because you have to be this magnet for people with this vision and, and the willingness to bet everything to attract the people to actually have a shot at making it happen. And of course, there's no guarantee that, that, that what, what Elon says um, yeah, will, will happen. And, and he said it multiple times. He expected Tesla to fail. He expected SpaceX to fail. I mean, not 100%, of course, but uh, the, the majority uh, probability was, was that it would fail. And, and still he tries. And I think this combination then attracts the best people. And with this DNA and with this ethos, they then actually have a shot at, at getting there. I think that that may be a, a, a summary of, of, the, of, the, of the secret sauce. But yeah. and other, I, don't, I, I don't see anyone else having the secret sauce. There's one other thing I wanted to mention, which is I would call it first mover advantage. Mm. Take Starlink as an example. Yeah. SpaceX builds out the Starlink network and they have at some point 40,000 satellites in space. And they have this huge network serving all these people who are not, don't have other choices for internet access, don't have good choices for internet access. 
and and you can see this is coming, right? So now you're some investor, you're Bezos or, you know, it's OneWeb. There's some other companies that are sort of starting to think about launching satellite networks. All right, you want to launch a competing satellite network, but you're going to be five plus years behind them. And it's going to cost you more because you don't have Starship to launch for you, right? You don't have, you, you can launch on SpaceX rockets, but they're going to charge you more than they're charging themselves. And, um, you know, just to get to, by the time you got a network up that was viable, that was actually potentially able to serve a base of customers, those customers are already with Starlink and you would have to charge, you would have to do something to attract them away from Starlink, but Starlink is a lower cost. It costs Starlink less to get up. So you can't really undercut them on price. And if you did undercut them in price, they would just lower their price. So if you're making the decision today, do I want to invest $100 billion to build a competing network to Starlink? The answer is no, it's not, I'm not likely to earn a return on my invested capital. Okay. Let's suppose I decide I want to build the self-driving car network, right? I want to build the self-driving car software and self-driving car network. Okay, so I've got to get millions of vehicles to have these cameras on them. And I've got to build this crazy data center to be able to process all this data. And I've got to hire a bunch of engineers to figure out, all right, how are we going to make this thing work? And I've got to invest $50 billion, $100 billion. And by the time I get there, Tesla's FSD is going to be better. So now you've got to get people into riding your robo-taxis when, you, when they're, they know that Tesla's robo-taxis are safer. And you can't really undercut them on price because Tesla's cost of running its robo-taxi fleet is lower than yours. So it, it doesn't make sense to, to pony up the money and the effort and the time to get into that business. What makes sense if you're an investor and you want to invest in game-changing opportunities is look for somewhere else that you can innovate that somebody else isn't already innovating which is what Elon does, right? Elon identifies industries where the innovation has gone stagnant. He says, I think I can do 10x better than what these guys are doing. That's what SpaceX did. That's what Tesla did. That's what Neuralink is doing. That's what the boring company is doing. Yeah, and I think his ability is to um, then get also the timing right. So he's super early, but he's not too early. He's right at the, at the time when things theoretically become possible, when all the, the, the pieces start to come together, then he starts already seeing the future and put it together and, and make it happen. And I think Steve Jobs was, was um, really similar with, with the iPhone. I think you, you yeah, they, there had to be several pieces in place, like the touchscreen and things like that, that just weren't in place five years or 10 years before that. So, so I think this ability to see the future and then also get the timing right and then bet everything on, on this future, I think might be, might be the secret uh, ability of him. Because yeah, if we, if we have a look at, at the Giga Nevada, for example, I mean, in, that was announced in 2014, right? And they announced that Giga Nevada would produce more than the global production of battery cells. So it was a huge endeavor and a huge announcement. And they did it in 2014. That's almost 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, so they were already thinking so much ahead. And I think um, if somebody, yeah, you, you say it absolutely right. I mean, Elon has the ability to, to see the future, to get the timing right, and then to go full speed and innovate so fast that basically nobody could, could catch up. And it doesn't make sense to even, to even get started uh, as, you, as you laid out with the, with the Starlink uh, example or the, or the 
or the FSD example. So if somebody would really um, want to approach it in a similar way, like Tesla, I mean, how could they, how could they do that? I, 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 don't, I don't see a way. Yep. Maybe they would have to find another way, like like now with with Bing found a way with with OpenAI, so they found a way to to compete to to somehow outmaneuver Google in in a way and and catch them on the wrong foot. So maybe I think that that would have to be the way. But you cannot beat Tesla with with the same strategy that Tesla has already employed for the past ten years. It it won't work it in my opinion. It makes sense, to, like. If you had a pile of cash and you wanted to invest in something to be successful, it would make more sense to say, all right, I see where Tesla's going. What kind of businesses do I think will spin off of this that we can make money on? Rather than trying to compete directly with Tesla, how do we ride the Tesla wave mm. and, and build the next killer app, the killer app for the Tesla, you know, the, the world of Tesla, the killer app for the world of Neuralink? Or, you know, that, I think there's so many opportunities to do something. There will be opportunities to do something like that. And that make a lot more sense. That, you know, there's only one company that decided to compete with Apple iOS, right? Android. I mean, this other, I mean, Microsoft tried and failed. I think there was like one or two others that tried and failed. Android sort of succeeded, but they don't really make a lot of money. Um, so the better solution is to make apps for the for the Apple universe. You know, the Apple, you know, Apple Store, right? App Store. Um, there's a lot of opportunities there. So I think I think smart money says where can we invest where we can be a part of either ride the wave or where can we do similar game-changing innovation somewhere Tesla isn't. Yeah, now the, the problem is that, for example, legacy automakers, right? Like, like Volkswagen, for example. I mean, they are generating a lot of net income right now. They are paying a lot of dividends. Um, for them, basically, everything is going right. They are making more profit and blah, blah, blah. Um, but in, in a way, they would need to super aggressively bet everything on the future. And then even if they would do that, um, the results wouldn't be guaranteed because all of the all of the things we, we talked about. So what would be a rational response for, for companies like Volkswagen? Probably it would be milking the ICE vehicles um, to death and then maybe, maybe yeah, go out of business or, or because it just doesn't make sense to try to compete with, 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 with Tesla, in my opinion. It, it's just crazy to invest your profits that you could pay out uh, with dividends and still be like 10 years behind. It, it just doesn't make any sense, but I they are still trying, right? I don't think legacy automakers matter in the future. I mean, this, you can say, look, when the iPhone came out, you know, we're not worried about Nokia and Motorola, you know, that, that they're afterthoughts. No, just out of curiosity, if if you were the CEO of of Volkswagen or GM or Ford or whatever, what would what would you do? I mean, it's 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 not easy, right? It's not that simple. The CEO of Volkswagen can't do what needs to be done because he doesn't have the same authority within his company that Elon has within Tesla. Herbert Dietz tried, and he got bounced from the position because he was trying. He wasn't even doing that much, but he was trying to do something, and he got bounced from the position. You need somebody who's not only got that that vision of where we need to go, but he has to have the institutional support for what he wants to do. And, and no auto CEO has that support. Uh, they just don't have it. It's not there. And they don't have the capital that they need to invest to really get there. Um, they, you know, yes, they're generating some income, but they also have tons of debt to have to pay off. And you know, the practical reality is, all right, this year, Tesla makes 2 million vehicles. Next year, Tesla makes 3 million vehicles. Uh, 2026, Tesla makes 6 million vehicles. You know, at, at maybe eight million vehicles. 
at some point they're eating enough market share from these other companies. And then, you know, the minute that the robo taxi goes live and every robo taxi replaces five new cars, it's over. Um, and I don't, I think they might actually replace eight new cars each because the typical car drives two hours and a robo taxi could probably drive 16 hours a day. So I think they pretty much wipe out legacy auto once robo taxi goes live, if not sooner. But what, what would be the right strategic response from, from legacy auto? I mean, they have a existing business. They know it's, it's a, it's a ticking time bomb and, and uh, they are still generating income. So what would be the rational thing to do just to milk it and then go out of business or your question, or your, your question assumes that they can have a strategic response. <laughs> They're not strategic. They're not able to engage in genuine strategy because they have so many constraints. Um, you know, the, the right response would have been at least 2018, if not sooner, when you see the Model 3 and really in 2013 or 2012, when you see the Model S saying, holy crap, I've seen Look, Jason, like a lot of Tesla investors, early Tesla investors saw the Model S and they said, holy crap, I'm in. I saw the rocket landing. And I said, if they can do that, they're going to figure out the cars. And I started investing in Tesla. All these people who run these companies saw all these things happen and they were in denial. Like it should have been obvious. This is the future. We can see the future coming. We need to react now. And now to react in 2023, when you should have reacted in 2016 or 2018 or 2014, it's, it's too late. I, I don't think there's a strategic answer for them that works. Um, you know, I suppose... Going all in on making EVs now, to, like I said, targeting 2025, 2027 to make something like whatever Tesla's already said they're going to make for 2025, right? Throwing billions of dollars into that, taking every bit of profit and throwing it into that. And then when you start facing the pressure of like, we got to pay our debts and we can't pay, our, go to your government and say, hey, you've got to cancel our debt. You've got to buy out our debt because otherwise we're going to go bankrupt. We're going to cost all these jobs. And allow that to get you through to where you can actually make something like a robo-taxi vehicle in 2027 that's comparable to what Tesla's going to sell in 2025. And then, you know, I think the question is, like, some legacy automaker could go for, listen, we're not going to beat Tesla, but maybe we could be number two. Right? Stop thinking. This whole thing about, you know, look out, Tesla, here they're coming. It's, it's not about beating Tesla. It's like there's room for a number two and a number three, maybe a number four. So how about you shoot for being number two, three, or four in this world? Absolutely. So, and who, who who do you think will will be number two, three, four? Maybe maybe the ones we we talked about Chinese companies. Chinese companies, maybe Rivian. I mean, yeah. I don't. I, I think Rivian has a shot at making it. Um, I China mean, we're we're still talking about potentially sixty, sixty five million cars per year, right? So I mean that there are niches, right? There. I mean, Tesla will will have its ten models. Um, of course, they won't serve every niche uh, market, right? So, so I think that there will be a lot of space for a lot of companies to to sell five hundred thousand million cars per year in a specified niche uh, with with good margins. It it could be possible, right? But but oh, I, I think that's that I, I think that's the, that's the right that's the right move to forget number one spot and and uh, just find find yourself a niche like like Ford. I think Ford really has a a, a decent strategy, I, I, I think. Um, that they said they they won't go into all segments. They focus now on the on the Lightning F one fifty, and maybe they will pick some some uh, adjacent ones. And and I think that's that's enough. And I think that might actually work for them. So, uh, 
I, I think you have to recognize also that the idea that there'll be 60 million vehicles sold or 80 million vehicles sold, if we're going to be in a robo-taxi world and every vehicle does the work of five or eight vehicles, then maybe the new car market isn't 60 million vehicles. Maybe it's 25 million vehicles. Mm. Um, if, if the global fleet ends up going from... Because here's the question we don't know the answer to. If if robo-taxis lower the cost of transportation from a dollar... I'm making up the number a dollar a mile, but let's say it's a dollar a mile. It's probably less than that, but call it a dollar a mile. Lowers the cost from a dollar a mile to 25 cents a mile. How much does demand for transportation rise to meet that, match that? Mm. If, if people start taking a lot more trips because trips are cheaper and more convenient, then maybe it makes up for it. But if global transportation doubles, but the demand, then the, you only need one fifth as many vehicles to serve what you had before, then the demand for vehicles is now two fifths of what it was. So the, the, the market for vehicles may actually shrink dramatically mm. once RoboTaxi comes about. Now, the other side of that is as the older, you still have to replace a fleet of 2 billion vehicles. And even if you're replacing it with a fleet with 400 million new vehicles that are each five times as capable and maybe you need more than that, it still takes a while at 20 million vehicles a year to get 400 million, million vehicles out. So I think there's still a, a demand for 30 or 40 million vehicles because once, once robo-taxis come out, the existing fleet becomes archaic. And like the cost of operating an existing vehicle might end up being more than the cost of getting a, riding in a robo-taxi. So you may see, I mean, there's a whole, I mean, there's a whole industry of what are you going to do with all these junk cars? Recycling cars. I mean, there's a big opportunity there is recycling old cars. Hmm. You know, extracting the steel, extracting the nickel from the steel, like whatever, whatever is in old cars, you know, what can you extract from old cars? There's real potential there for, for a, a large scale business of recycling ice cars that have, have become uh, archaic and irrelevant. Absolutely, that 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 could be a niche niche for for some other company, well, of course. I mean, yeah, it's not a niche. There's two billion of them. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's a big business. Yeah, true. And, and I should mention before, there's another thing you said earlier about how you know the oil industry. I don't think the oil industry goes away. There will still be uses for petrochemicals. The demand for oil and gas will go down some, but especially with the Saudis being able to produce oil and oil at a very low price, and there's some other sources that can produce gas at a very low price there will probably still be some fossil fuels being used for some purposes for a very long time. And, and the oil will still be useful for something. So I don't think they're going completely away. Anyway, um, we've gone for over an hour and a half. Should we, should we wrap it up? I don't want to. Yeah, absolutely. We, we can. I think it's, uh, we, we took some time to, to get going, but I think uh, we, we had a great, great discussion in the end. So uh, no, thank you for sharing your model. And I think, uh, I think yeah, the purpose is really to to get ourselves uh, thinking and and what 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 uh, how could this world look like? And I'm still trying to wrap my head around what what's really the competitive advantage, what's really the secret sauce. And each conversation, I, I have a feeling I, I get I get closer to that. So so thank you for sharing your thoughts. Just just went really quick. I'm wearing my "Be Less Wrong" T-shirt, and you can see the the Warren Tesla man. There's a Tesla man T-shirt as well. I sell T-shirts at ElonBits.com. I will just warn you that my provider that does all this for me is very slow. So when they tell you you're going to get your shirt by the end of March, it's not really going to come till the end of April. But the shirts are great. I wear them all the time. The fabrics are good. The 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 tri-blend fabric and the premium fabric are both great. Um, and I think my designs are pretty cool. So please check out ElonBits.com and of course, check out my YouTube channel.
Absolutely. I've linked it already down below. Warren's YouTube channel, Warren's Twitter, um, all, all great stuff. Please follow him. Um, I, I watch his videos regularly. I always learn a lot. Um, so thank you, Warren, for coming on and uh, let's stay in touch. Thanks for having me. Okay, everyone. Um, yeah, please subscribe to his channel. And uh, yeah, I will having I will be having a lot more interviews in the future. I really enjoying that my discussion with Alex yesterday with Warren today, a lot more to come. So thank you for listening. And until next time.